0: the title of our message today is Questions Answered. And you're going to figure out why in a couple minutes. But we're going to start right here in verse 5. It says, The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. Someone say, dead are raised up. Someone say, dead are raised up. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. we're going to start here, and I want to set up our time this morning by talking about my favorite football player. His name's Tom Brady. How many of us are familiar with Tom Brady? I thought this was the perfect place because we were in Massachusetts, the state Tom Brady dominated in for several years. And Tom Brady was somebody who, over a 20-year career, was considered by many to be the greatest NFL quarterback to ever step on a field. And several years ago, Tom Brady was accused of cheating. And some of us may feel like Tom Brady wasn't cheating. Some of us may feel like Tom Brady was cheating. But regardless, he was suspended for the first few games of that season. And so as you can imagine, there were a lot of questions surrounding Tom Brady. There were a lot of questions saying, man, he's been dominating for all these years, but we just caught him cheating. Is he actually really any good? Is Tom Brady really who he says he is or has shown himself to be? And all of these questions were surrounding Tom Brady. And as a result of that suspension, he missed the first four games of that season. And Tom Brady's going into this season, and he has his backup, and they're playing well. And so everyone's like, well, man, it's just a team. Tom Brady's washed up. He's no good. He doesn't have anything left to offer the team. And so as you can imagine, this may have put a little fuel in Tom Brady's fire, right? This may have given Tom Brady a little extra motivation, And he went out that year and had one of the best statistical seasons ever recorded in NFL history. And I believe he won a Super Bowl, if I'm getting my years right. Tom Brady was somebody who looked at a challenge and didn't step away from that challenge, but stepped fully into that challenge. He didn't shy away from the questions that were coming his way. He answered them, not by listing out how many times he had done A, B, C, or D, but by proving to the doubters once again that he was the greatest NFL quarterback of all time. Now, I think that's a powerful image of our text today. And what I mean by that is, in the same way that Tom Brady, right, proved his doubters wrong and showed the world who he is through his actions, this leads us to my main point. Jesus responded to John the Baptist in the same way in this text not by listing his resume or by trying to convince the world by pulling up about how many degrees he had or the fact that he was an accomplished rabbi. His response was the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, and the dead are raised again. And this might raise the question in our minds. If Jesus used this kind of method to show the world who he is, what does that say about the questions? What does that tell us about the questions that John the Baptist was asking? Well, I believe to answer that question, we've got to spend a little more time in this text. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, we're going to get our start today. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 11. And it starts like this. It says, when Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word to his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look? for another. So let's draw a little bit of context here, because I believe when you're reading the Bible, context is super important. If you don't know what's kind of happening surrounding the passage, you're going to have a hard time reading what's saying. So we're going to stop in verse three. I want to encourage you all to think through this moment with me right now. John's in prison. Now John the Baptist, for those who don't know, was a foretold prophet. He was somebody that was said to have come ahead of Jesus. And actually, the words that were going to be used, and you're going to read them in a couple minutes, said he would make way for the coming Messiah. He was the one who would tell everyone that the Messiah was on his way, that the Messiah, Jesus, as we know today, had arrived. He was the one who was entrusted by God to communicate this super important message to the world. And his faith, his career, if you will, his calling, was not just something that came on the scene when John was born, but it had been been foretold for generation upon generation upon generation. So John the Baptist was the person that was supposed to tell the entire world about Jesus. So why then is he asking the question— are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Why is he asking this question when it is literally his job to tell the entire world that Jesus is the Messiah? Does that make sense to us? Is there some kind of difference between what John was supposed to be doing and where he was at? I think it's very easy for us to sit here in the 21st century and to miss the point of what's happening in this text. Miss the point of what's happening in this passage. John the Baptist was not sitting in the middle of his living room sending the disciples that he had to Jesus to ask him this question. John the Baptist was sitting in the middle of a prison cell because he had been doing exactly what God had asked him to do and he was calling out the leadership of the day, King Herod, for all the evils he had been doing. And so John the Baptist was sitting in the middle of prison because he had been faithful, because he had been obedient to God in the call that God put on his life. Have any of us ever been there? Have we ever felt like we've been obeying God, we've been following God? And instead of landing us in the penthouse, it's landed us in a prison cell. Instead of landing us in the place we wanted to go, it's landed in a place... That we don't want to be. Am I alone in that? Or do all of us resonate with that thought today? Sometimes we expect God, when we obey God, when we follow God, when we walk with God, to make things easy. But as John the Baptist will tell you, life wasn't easy. John the Baptist was regularly put in places where he was overwhelmed, where he was Attacked where he was insulted. I mean, the man lived in the wilderness and had a very interesting diet, if you want to look more into that. John the Baptist was somebody who followed God his entire life. John the Baptist was a Nazirite, right? The Nazarites were people who, first off, didn't cut their hair, right? And shampoo wasn't existing back then, so there's a thought as well. But he was somebody who had devoted his entire life. The Nazarites were people who had devoted their entire lives to the service of God. Their entire lives to God's calling. Their entire lives to what God had asked them to do. A couple of famous Nazarites you might have heard of are Samson, a guy who was really strong, and Samuel, one who had been used by God to communicate to kings and to the world. So these were important people. These were people who God had set apart ahead of their birth to do great things for his glory. And John the Baptist was somebody who was in the middle of this calling and everything is turned upside down in his life. And so you can imagine with me in this moment, John the Baptist feeling overwhelmed, the sense of emotion knocking at his door saying, listen, you're not who God says you are. The calling he's placed on your life, you missed it. You put your faith in the wrong person. Because how could a loving God, how could a good God give you this assignment, give you this calling, give you this opportunity, and then stick you straight in a prison cell? How could a loving God give you all of this and yet drop you into chains for what would be the rest of his life? That sounds like a dark and tough question, doesn't it? How could a loving God put John the Baptist in such a rough place? Now I think we are beginning to understand from a deeper perspective, friends, why John the Baptist was asking his questions. And I bet if we are to be honest, if we were in the same place, a lot of us would be asking those questions too. A lot of us would be asking those questions and in the middle of this dark moment, in the middle of this uncertain reality, in the middle of this painful experience where John is sitting in a prison cell, sending his disciples to the one he has devoted his life to, and maybe questioning his devotion, in that moment, this leads us to our second point. Heads up, lean in. Jesus answers. Jesus answers. John's questions led us to a place in our story where we feel the tension in this moment. But how many of us know that in the middle of the desert of our doubt and our fear, the answers of God are like water where we're in desperate need of it? Let's pick this back up in Matthew eleven four, 4, verse, verse 4 through verse 6. And Jesus answered them. Someone say answered them. Someone say answered them. And Jesus answered them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now we're beginning to come to this point in our story, where John is the one asking the questions, but he's not the only one getting the answer. Because Jesus, as he is responding to John's disciples, begins to go from answering one man, man, to answering a few men, to eventually answering a crowd. And we are feeling the middle of this story right in this moment, where Jesus is responding to John's disciples. And he said, go and tell what you hear and see. And that word see is important. Because Jesus could have very easily sat there and said, hey, do you see my degree hanging on the wall? Do you hear what I've done? Do you know what I've done? Who are you to be questioning me? And when we know Jesus, we realize we really don't have a right to be questioning him, do we? But what is Jesus' answer? I love this. He says, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, church. And we're realizing that Jesus' response to John's questions was to not only tell John's disciples what he had done, it was to show them what he was doing. Jesus' response to John's questions wasn't just to list his resume, it was to give them a firsthand example as to how good he is in his plan for the world. Now, I want us to take a step back and to look at more about this context. Because Jesus isn't speaking to 21st century Americans in this text. He's speaking to people in the middle of the Middle East in ancient times. They knew the stories of the coming Messiah. They knew that Jesus necessarily wasn't the Messiah, but they knew he was an important man. And they knew that when the Messiah comes, he would do certain things. And this... This leads us into this point that I really am excited to make. John's questions were the platform for the world to see how good God is. John's questions were the platform for the world to see Jesus. And so the world saw more of the heart of Jesus in this text. But it's not all what they saw. They also saw more of the heart of God. Now you can say, well, that is the same person, and you'd be right. That is the same person. But to ancient Israel, that wasn't the same person. They didn't know who Jesus was yet. They hadn't seen him truly reveal himself. Maybe this crowd was beginning to get an idea. But Jesus is showing the dichotomy between, the difference between who they thought God was, a judgmental, far off, distant God, and who he is, a loving God that, yes, still holds standards and holds truth, but is not expecting his people to climb to him, but is willing to send his son for his people. Wow. In this little text, we're seeing so much of the heart of God, aren't we? In this little passage, we're seeing God reveal himself so powerfully to people who did not deserve to see God. What about us here in Haverhill, Massachusetts in 2022? Do we see God moving powerfully in our lives? I believe the answer is yes. But even though we've seen God do great things, even though we've seen God meet us time and time again, even though we've seen God do incredible things on our behalf, it is so tempting, it is so easy, it happens all the time, where we forget how good God is because we're staring our prison cell in the face instead of praising the one who holds the key. We're staring our pain and our problems in the face instead of looking to the one who can be our deliverance and was our deliverance. Two thousand years ago. It shifts your perspective from, man, I'm staring at my problems to looking at my Savior. I'm looking at my pain, or I'm seeing my Father make himself so powerfully known in my life. This makes us see the goodness of God, doesn't it? This makes us appreciate the goodness of God because John didn't deserve to have Jesus answered. And we don't deserve to have Jesus answered. But by his grace, by his goodness, by his love, he does time and time and time again. And he makes it so easy for us to see. The blind receive their sights. The lame walk. And the dead are raised again. This isn't the only part of this text. And this leads us beautifully into our next point. Because not only does Jesus answer John, he affirms him. Let's read verses 7 through 11. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the winds? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Let's stop there one moment because that's so easy to read over. What Jesus is saying to them is something that I believe is so important for us today. What Jesus is saying to the crowd concerning John the Baptist is that he is saying that John isn't defined by the questions he was just asking. These people had gone into the wilderness to see John. They didn't meet John for the first time through his disciples. They had seen John perform miracles. They had seen John baptize people. They had seen John do what God had called him to do at his greatest moment. But when John is at his weakest moment, when the people know he is in prison, when they know he is asking questions, when they know he is down, when they know he has abandoned what some way might seem to be that strong of a hope, Jesus is saying to them, "These things about John, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. We see the heart of God in this moment, because what so many of us would look at as an abandoning of the call of God on their lives. Jesus turns upside down and puts it on his head. And then Jesus makes a startling statement in verse 10. He says, "Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you." This isn't original quote by Jesus. He's quoting Isaiah. And what was being said in this moment is it was talking about the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. Heads up, lean in, because this is an extremely important moment. What Jesus is saying is not only is John who he says he is, but he's prepared the way for the one who is to come. Jesus is saying to the crowd in the one moment the one who has been told about, the one who is to come, the one who is who you are looking for, I'm him. And I find it so beautiful that in the middle of John's greatest doubt and fear and pain and weakness, he is most fulfilling his purpose then. John was the one who would be foretold to say, I will prepare the way for the Lord. And Jesus uses his pain, uses his questions, uses his uncertainty. To say to the world, I am the one who is to come. So it is very easily said, and I believe it's true, that John's purpose, when they put in the hands of God, was most revealed. Not when he was preaching super effectively, and yes, that was very uh, strong, but through his questioning. Not through his performance or achievement, why? Not because of the question, but because of the answer. It puts Jesus front and center of the story. It puts Jesus front and center of the story, of First Baptist. Now let's take that and apply it to our lives, because many of us have questions, don't we? Many of us struggle through life, don't we? If we're being honest, we can all say that. At one point or another, and maybe that one point has been very recently, maybe even today. We're questioning who God is. We're questioning God's plan for our lives. We're questioning the fact, is he really even with us? And so many of us run away from these questions. So many of us are afraid of these questions. If we tell ourselves we're not questioning long enough... We give ourselves some semblance of faith. If we tell ourselves long enough that we can avoid these questions, we give ourselves an opportunity to say, no, I'm going to buck myself up. I'm going to get ready. And I'm going to tackle this problem in my life. But here's the truth, right? We do God more of a disservice in our lives than we tell him we can do it by ourselves. Because what we say, what we when we do it by ourselves, what we say to ourselves and what we say to the world around us is that we don't need God on the throne of our lives. We use him to justify ourselves sitting on that throne. But John's questions put Jesus front and center. John's questions put Jesus on the throne. And John's questions to Jesus through his disciples are ones that we ask today. Are you the one or is there really somebody else? Are you the one who is to come? Or should I wait for another? And Jesus reminds us who of, who he is. By reminding us of not only what he's done in the past of our lives but by what he's doing. Here's the news flash. Jesus is not stopped by COVID. Jesus is not stopped by pain. Jesus is not stopped by prison. Jesus is not stopped by worry. He's not stopped by stress. He doesn't bow his knee to any one of those things. And yes, we go through hard times, as John the Baptist could tell you. Yes, we go through difficult times, circumstances, moments, as John the Baptist would say amen to. But all of those things can do one of two things. They can make us put the focus on ourselves and pretend like we don't have these pains. Or they can make us put our focus on Jesus. Recognize who he is. Recognize the authority that God has in our lives and to put our hope and our trust in him. And then in verse 11, it says this. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he and what Jesus is saying when he says that point is that because John the Baptist has made it about him, about Jesus, there is no one greater in the kingdom of heaven. Because John the Baptist has put his lot in with Christ. And even in the middle of the questions, Jesus never questions John's loyalty, never questions his obedience. And some of us may be able to say, yeah, but he can surely question mine. I haven't lived a perfect life. But what Jesus says to you and to me is that the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If today we have tried to live our own way, if today you're listening to me and you're saying, man, I've really been beaten down by life. I've really been overwhelmed by my life. And I'm starting to try and get through it on my own. Right? What Jesus is saying to you, and he's saying to me, is that I have so much more for you than that. This pretending, going through life, like we have it all together. What Jesus is saying, through his grace, through his love, and through his truth to us, through this passage, is that I have something greater in store for you. I have something more in store for you. Because we see the heart of God and how this great king praises his questioning servant because it puts him front and center of the story. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to lean into the unknown. Don't be afraid to express fear or worry. But here's the thing. Don't let it control you. You can do this a couple different ways. You can very practically say to God, my day is yours. I'm going to put my faith in you and I'm going to read your word. Spend time in your scriptures. And the second way that we can do that is to be praying every day and saying, God, I don't feel... I have a good follower of you today. So God, instead of me trying to meet you, will you meet me? Let's pray, First Baptist. Thank you, Jesus, for a great word. And I don't mean the word that was preached. I mean the word that we read. Thank you for using your scriptures to have a deep and resonating impact in us. As we go in this place, may we live like people who know that even though we have questions, we aren't cast aside. We aren't forgotten about. But God is working in our lives. He's moving in our lives for his glory, for your glory, Lord, for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, may we put our trust in you. May we put our hope in you. May we make our lives all about you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things today. Amen. Thank you very much, First Baptist.